Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Final Russo Podcast. I am your host, David Javon, and we are going to have a special podcast today, but let's get started with introductions. I'm Javon, and I'm here with my co-host today. Hey, I'm Ryan Pereira, and today we got a good one. Uh, we're interviewing George Gray from the Essex Player Development out in England. Hey, George, how you I'm doing? I'm doing well, boys. How you doing? Doing well. Doing good here, man. Good. Okay, um, we're just going to have you introduce yourself before we get into the questions and um, the fun stuff. So you have the floor. Brilliant. Um, yeah, my name is George Gray. Um, I am UK football coach, um, working in in the UK, based out in Essex. For anyone who's in the UK, um, we uh, specialise in, in technical, uh, technical development, technical um, components of the game. Um, uh, coaching wise I've been I've been working um, for the past seven years worked in academy football over here um, uh, you know working with all sorts of different players from, from you know grassroots up to that point um, and, and and just continuing my journey really and I'm I'll leave it at that because I'm sure you'll probably ask some questions um, so it's very brief um, so yeah that's 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 a brief brief thing on me all right. Uh, so, did you have a professional playing career before you got into coaching, or did you go straight into coaching? Um, no, I can't be honest. Um, over in the UK, I don't know what it's like in the US. In the UK, um, football is 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 massive, um, or soccer is 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 massive. Um, we, you know, we are, uh, you know, it's very hard over here to get into a, into a club, into a into a profession, you know, to, to do it as your job. Um, so, I, I didn't have. Um, that luxury of, of being a pro, loved to have and always aspired to. Um, from as early as I can remember, I was kicking a ball, um, but it, it just it just didn't happen. Um, and I was about 15, 16 years of age. Uh, in fact, I was 15. Um, and um, uh, my my dad ran my local club, and he uh, he knew one of the former managers of a pro uh, club over here, Southland United, which is which I'll go on to later. Um, and he knew the former manager, Steve Tilson. Um, and and he he spoke to him and said, you know, my boy wants to come and, and he wants to get into the coaching. Um, would, you, would you have him? So I went over on a sloppy Saturday morning in beautiful England, raining all the time. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, young lads just in a raincoat watching, watching Steve work. Um, he was working with the FA at the time, doing some mentoring for some grassroots clubs. And, um, you know, Steve's had a great, great career in the game. He's he's managed Southend uh, for 10 years. He, had a, he was he was a player before, then managed Southend for 10 years. He beat Manchester United. Um, he won back-to-back league trophies with, with Southend, bringing him up to the Championship, which is just one under the Premier League. Um, and he, he's had a really, really good career in the game. And, and he's, he's managed at Lincoln City as well, um, who are in the Football League. Um, so you know that 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 journey's been really good for him, and and you know he straight away we 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 got on, and uh, I started just just watching him work, and then he invited me over um, to a grassroots academy um, called uh, uh, the PFA Essex, um, again just around the corner from me, and I jumped to the opportunity. The owner of the at the time of of that academy was a, uh, um, a man called uh, Adam Barrett, and Adam Barrett um, played for some big clubs in the UK uh, again South End um uh, he played for Palace he played for 
um, the Gillingham, AFC Wimbledon, and, and, and Bristol, and, and all these all these sort of clubs um, that are all in the football leagues. So instantly, I I went in there, and for about a year or two, I just watched. I don't even think I coached, and I just learned and was in around professionals, you know, professional players who were coming in and giving up their time to coach. And then as time went on, I, I got the opportunities and Steve started, you know, Steve started to give me a little bit more trust over the years. So did Adam and the guys down there. And then I realised that it was something I wanted to go and do. And 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 then again, Steve, um, Steve gave me an opportunity again um, to to go and um, he, obviously being his connections at Southend, I was looking to get into the academy. I'd just done my FA level two. So he, he spoke to Ricky Duncan at Southend, who was the academy manager at the time. And I, I went over there and um, I had uh, I, I had a little, again, watching, observing. Um, I was coaching at the time. I've, I've been coaching, you know, I wasn't observing at that point. I was coaching a lot more, uh, three, four nights a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, then, Ricky Duncan had me in at Southend. I, I did six months of of watching, of learning, observing the the players and seeing how it was going. And then um, and then it got to the new season in in, in the May time, in the in the due time, uh, how it works over here in, in in the UK. Seasons run between July and, and May. And um, Ricky gave me an opportunity to go and take the under tens, and um, I assisted someone at the under tens paid role, um, my first paid role in academy football. Um, and and then it started from there, and I, I did, I've done four seasons at Southend, and I've, I've worked in the foundation phase, which is which is nines to twelves. Um, and and again, Steve is still my mentor today. I still have a really good relationship with him in and outside of work. I've really got a good relationship with his family, so that one's come come along really well. Um, and and you know, I've I've then took into building my own my own business, which which started alongside the Southend work. And now we're we're running four, five, or oh, five nights a week, um, on on delivering one to one and small group sessions. And how how would you say would as you coach U nine to U twelve? How would you prefer it? Uh, do would you prefer to coach teenagers, or do you like coaching that, or would you even go? Um, well, I, I, at the time of speaking, I've just been offered a a role younger. Um, I'm just considering the options at the moment. I won't go into detail because it's not confirmed. Um, but um, it, yeah, I've just been offered something so something to consider. But I mean, over in the UK, I mean, it's just it's just a general a general thing that happens at the moment. And listen, I'm a young coach. I'm, I would like to say I'm very switched on for my age. I'm, I'm coming uh, 23 in a week or two. You know, I'm I'm very I'd say I'm switched on for my age. And you know, it, it's um, it, in in the UK. It, Everyone wants to be working with the older players all the time, and everyone sees Pep work and Klopp work, and they're like, "Yes, I want to play yeah. pressing style Barcelona." But you know, I'm I'm happy to work with the with whoever. And for me, that's not because I can't work with them players because I can. Because again, over the time of being with, at Southend, I have um, I've worked with the youth team, worked with the 18s. I've, I've I think I worked with the the 23s once. Um, you know. It, it doesn't bother me working with the youngsters and knowing that you're part of the start of their journey, knowing you're part of 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 the development cycle where that's where it starts in the academy system, giving them technical information, which I think goes missing a lot, um, layers of information, layers of coaching information, um, and 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 uh, and giving them the the right the right opportunities, and you know every, every player needs an opportunity, you know it's always a it's always an interesting one. 
when um when you get a player in who's raw can't do the things and then you know you see over time the work that you've done where you break down the skill development break down the the learning patterns of movements and things like that and then you start to see what they become maybe you know three four years time when you're watching them when you took them under nines and then now they're under 12s now which might, might you know they are you start to see the player that they are knowing that you're part of that start of the journey is, is a wonderful thing in my opinion and I think a lot of coaches as I say want to want to go and, and do the older ones but actually you know my enjoyment would be to do that but I also enjoy and have no shame in, in dropping ego and saying actually I'm happy to I'm happy to do them them because I, I feel that I can have value yeah, you, so, you're yeah. you're you're looking at um developing uh, a player at, at its roots. So like in the future, um I don't know if you've seen it yet, but like players that go on to play professional, you can say, Hey, he trained with me, I saw the stardust, here he is now. That's Loki, my <laughs> one. <laughs> not gonna take for it, of course. Um it it isn't it isn't it isn't. Uh, I mean again, I am I'm not. I'm not too bothered whether I'm. If in ten years' time, someone I coached at under nines now um, goes and plays for Tottenham or Arsenal or Chelsea and plays high standard football, brilliant. I'll be listen. I've added value to that player. I look at it and go, yeah, I've helped along the line. I helped at the start. But again, there's been a lot of work that's gone on away from me that other people have done. They've also been good work. Um, so. I think it is nice to know that you, you're part of the development cycle. It's, it's an important factor. Um, it's a really, really important factor. Um, but, you know, we, we always say over here in England, you know, the, the best coaches um, should work with the younger age groups. Not saying I am the best coach. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that if I can become a specialist in that area, in a field in that area, and, and as long as I'm enjoying it, I'm, I'm happy, to, I'm happy to, to try my hardest to, to work in that, in that remit. There we go. Uh, they they say that you know you got to get into the sport early. How early would you say? Because the later on, let's say if you're a teenager and you have aspirations of making it, you're kind of left behind because there's so many people or kids per se, which that are steps already above you. So how early would you say for someone to actually start if they have aspirations to making it into a football? Player? Uh, I mean, it always helps. Don't get me wrong. Um, uh, I can only speak for the UK. And I see it so often. Um, people get so caught up in social media, so caught up on watching, um, you know, young talent do well. Dads and, and parents and, you know, families want their kids. They, they put a lot of pressure on their kids to go at young ages to go and try and succeed. And we always say over here to live their dream. Um, you know, young, young, you know, let's take me, for example. I'm not a dad, but, you know, someone in my position who absolutely loved the game from such an early age and watched and lived and breathed it um, wasn't good enough, but wanted to be a pro. If I had a little boy or a little girl, I might put a lot of pressure on them to, to succeed. And I'm actually trying to live, yeah. I'm trying to get them to live their, their you know, my dream through them. Um, so it, yes, it does help, but the, the player's got to want to enjoy it. That's the first thing. The player's got to enjoy, enjoy what they're doing. You know, if you're not in life in general, if you're not enjoying what you're doing, then there's, there's no point. Um, you know, you should maybe look at doing something else. That's the way I see things. Um, but it, it's it's maybe a case of, of you know, it, there is facts. I don't know the actual stats, but, there, you know, players can still make it. Um, look at Ian Wright, for example, come through the system very late. Um, Jamie Vardy, come through it very late. 
Um, so there, there, it does happen. Um, it does help early, as I said, but your chances start to dim You know, it starts to dim out. Um, but, you know, people's development cycles can start early or they can start late. Sometimes they can peak off early. Sometimes they can peak off late. Um, so it, it, it just depends, you know, how, where your heart is on it and, 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 and how much you want it. So you mentioned, uh, you mentioned uh, social media and the greats that it is, it connects people together, you know, on the broader spectrum, you get to see people from all over the world and potentially scout talent and whatnot. But it's also in a way a distraction to where, let's say a player does this trick and then they try to implement it in game and it obviously doesn't work out. How much of a distraction is it for you guys when someone picks up a behavior via social media? and they try to implement them themselves. How hard is it for you to coach that out of them? Well, the biggest problem, the biggest problem um, in the UK we have is, and this is the one that I face a lot, um, parents, um, parents' education of football and the coaching behind football um, is, is very difficult. Um, so they see, as I said earlier, they'll see a Barcelona, a Pep's team, a Klopp's team play, and they'll be like, Look at how they their faces are play. Look at the way you know they see these. You know they do these documentaries on 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 Netflix and TV, YouTube and whatever. And people see their training sessions, first team players. You know, you know, youth team players doing passing patterns, spaces of plays, working on corners, free kicks. In actual fact, um, it you know it starts. It actually starts with the individual. You know, the game is is eleven one v ones. Um, it's a very it's a very hard thing to get your head around, but it is 11 1v1s. You know, it's you versus your opponent. How do you outplay your opponent? So doing all the ball skills is something where the technical side of the game comes out of, which is what we specialise in. However, you know, as they get older, then it starts to become around more group play, unit work. You know, you're looking at homing in, in, homing in on, on technique, um, you know, wrap passes, reverse passes, receiving back to pressure. Um, you know, you know your ball skills, your ball mastery. Um, you, you know the way you you manipulate your body, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so over here, parents see that um, that you know these these first teams doing things uh, and don't realise actually, you know, you need you need to learn and need to be able to understand what the individual requires at an early age to then build up and progress in, the, in in what we would say is like a ladder. You know, if you if you're mm-hmm. if you're a, a central midfield player, you know, you might have to you might have to learn to receive the uh, the ball um from all different angles with pressure from all different angles, you know, side, front, back. So you're building a ladder. Okay, you want that central midfield player at the top of your ladder to be um, you know, um be able to receive from all different types of pressures. So then you work from the bottom and you work your way up on that ladder. You know, what is, what's going to take? So to start with, he needs to learn on the receiving skills, then needs to work on pressure from the back, pressure from the side, from the front, then needs to work on all, all, all these manipulation skills. So it works, starts with the individual and then you layer it. Um, but as I said, parents are uh, need education on it um, because, again, they, they think... Um, it's all about winning and they think it's all about these, you know, wow, we're not working on four, three, threes, you know, whatever it may be, um, which isn't the reality. Yeah, it's what they see on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I can understand why that's sometimes one of the hardest guys to deal with uh, because they don't understand that 
each player has to be um, at a certain level for you to be able to start working on positional play or um, formation and stuff like that. Um, I have a question for you. It's it's kind of a weird one, but let I want to dial it back to when you said you were getting into this profession. Um, and I kind of want our listeners and myself to understand that there's a whole different world when it comes on to football that's dominated in um, different countries. So let's say here, let's say I was growing up, right? Well, I grew up in Jamaica. So let's even look at it from that spectrum. I, when I was growing up, realistically, as much as I love the sport, football isn't like an option or to do anything in football isn't like an option for me. So like even here, a, a child growing up here, you're told to, hey, go to school. When you go to school, choose a profession. If you start getting into sports, that's great. Maybe you can pay for get a couple of scholarships. Yeah. Um, can you can you speak about it from your perspective? What it was like in terms of having options for jobs? I guess what I'm asking is, in a nutshell of it, in um, is it easy? Are there more football jobs, or is it an easier career path to choose? Like, if I wanted to be an engineer, okay, let me just yeah. go be an engineer. You see, a lot of people going to school for engineering. Yeah. Um, is it like that in England? Um, so in in um, so it, it, over here, you got a choice in everything you do. Um, you are education is important. You are you are told you need an education. Um, it's not a case of like you know you wake up one day and you go I'm going to be a builder. If you want to change your mind, you change your mind. You know that's that's how it works over here. We we're not we're not very strict on the way things work in terms of jobs. Obviously, if you're going down the, the route of where you start going to, um, uh, you know, university, you go to to them sort of places where you're you're paying for your education. Um, then obviously, you probably are looking at going down that route. But with football, you know, the way the academy system works here is, you know, you'll go to school uh, nine a.m. to three p uh, three p.m. You'll come home. If you're in the academy system, you'll train in the evenings. You know, um, typically. Foundation phase nine to twelve will train. Um, will train uh, Monday and Wednesday, and youth phase will train Tuesday, for, uh, Tuesday Thursday, with the option of Friday. And um, what will happen is you'll work the whole way up until you're sixteen, and then you get offered a scholarship program uh, with the football club, where um, you'll go full time. Um, in when you'd go, we call it. I don't know. I don't know how it works your end, but year twelve, which is like the year after you leave, is when you're sixteen. The year after you leave, so post post school. Yeah. Um, so when you get to year twelve, you then go um, in full time uh, football, earning a wage, um, and then you um, you'll study alongside that. Um, and then obviously from that point there, you then you get your opportunities. You might go out on loan to a football club. You might stay at the academy. You will play in the youth leagues, um, and then you go and get a career in the uh, in the game potentially if, if you're good enough. Um, hopefully, that adds clarity to your question you asked. Yeah, it does. It does. It does. Um, um, what? Uh, one of my next questions that I have for you: What position do you find difficult to coach? In? Like, is it the midfield position or what position do you find difficult for players to kind of understand position? So that's a great question. Um, 
Um, I would say it normally happens in the transitional moments. So when I say transitional moments, so when you play your format over in England, so when you're young, you might play, um, you know, seven aside up until you're 10, and then you play nine aside up until you're maybe 13, and then you play 11 aside from that onwards. So you don't typically get fullbacks. You don't typically get uh, in the younger age groups. So that's always a difficult one. Um, you know, uh, you don't, you might not necessarily get specific roles in the midfield areas. So you don't, you don't get a number 10, uh, a centre attack in mid. You don't normally get one of them, maybe. Um, so it, it, that's difficult. I think in general, though, I think this is the hardest one and probably the most controversial is probably the goalkeeper. Now, I won't work with goalkeeper because every club I've, I've been at and every, every, coaching scenario I've, I've been in and the organisation I work for including my own um, have goalkeeper coaches so working with a goalkeeper when it comes to games is difficult because you, you don't want to contradict what the goalkeeper coaches says so you have to be on singing on the same hymn sheet but at the same time it's such a touchy subject um, you know unfortunately the striker has 10 shots doesn't score but then hits the winner you know, no one talks about the 10 before. If the goalkeeper saves 10 shots, but then lets in the last-minute equaliser is the worst thing going. So it always is a really touchy conversation. Do they start too high out of the box? Do they start deeper? Do they come for crosses? Do they not come for crosses? Uh, do they use their feet? Do they not use their feet? Um, do, you want, do, you, do you want to play with them as, as a better player? Do you want them to be out of it because they're not good at it with the ball at the feet? So it's always a difficult one, I, I find, is that normally just let the goalkeeper coach work with them and try and integrate it by speaking to the coach and, and working with them. Um, yeah, I would probably go with that one. Is there any important traits uh, that you look forward into a player to, and maybe trying to coach something, uh, you know, maybe a different, um, I wouldn't say ability, but trying to get something more out of them? Yeah, um, it's nothing to do with football. I think it's actually up here in the brain. Um, I think it's, and, and in the chest, it's the heart. Heart and the determination. Um, uh, you, can, you, can, you can be a, an excellent football player. You could be, you know, then getting the, the Nike and the Adidas deals and you could be having, you know, whoever looking at you. But I generally believe after doing it, for, for the last in the academy system for the last four years I genuinely believe if you haven't got the heart and you haven't got the determination to go through with what you want and you know understanding the process and understanding that there's going to be good days bad days that's given but understanding that you know we, we've got to I've got to put a shift in here because if I don't the person in front of me will get it and I'll fall back and I'm being watched consistently and I know that this is going to be a pivotal moment in whether I'm going to be picked or not, get my next contract, whether I'm not going to get my next contract being looked at by other scouts, by looking at the national teams as you get older. I, that, that for me, is the, the ability I would be looking for. I think we train with a lot of players over here. I take, I, I, I must see uh, two to three to 400 boys or, and, and girls a week. And I'll be entirely, entirely honest with you, I have only seen it in two players over the last seven years who actually I can see how much they want it, how much they they are driven, they are focused, they are um, 
going after everything they can, doing everything they can to, to be in a position where they go, yeah, I did it, and not make any excuses. And I think, you know, you can be the best, as I said, you can be the best player, but I think if you, you've got to have that heart and that determination when the going gets tough. You know, you've got to, you've got to roll your sleeves up um, and everything else will fall into line if you can do them sort of things. Okay. 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 How do With you that shape... many... Oh, go ahead, John. Yeah, yeah. Building on that, how do you like shape the right competitive um, winning mentality while ensuring a good character in um, a specific individual? How do you like shape um, <clears throat> your teams to win or to have like a winning, okay, this is what we want. We want this mentality, but still not having a overly, what's the word? overly um overly com in, instead of being overly competitive you know just that, that sweet spot for lack of a mm. it's hard because everyone wants to win um I, I i definitely if my old head of coaching was listening to this i think i might actually send it to him i will laugh um you know I, I was obsessed with winning at one point in academy football because um i, I always used to think i was judged on it and you're not actually, you're not. And once you get your head around that, it's, it's all right. But managing the difference with players, I think, you know, if you go and play your, your, for your local team and you play against another local team, five years' time, no one's going to remember that result. No one's going to remember it. You know, it's about managing the now and managing um, the expectation of a player um, and managing um, what does success look like to them um because winning is one thing yeah everyone wants to go and win a game everyone wants to go and um to go and, um, and get three points and maybe beat their, their friend's team or whatever it may be but managing that expectation that actually today's success for you might actually look like you receiving the ball on the back foot and breaking lines of a pass that might actually look like success for you so then you can manage that winning mentality within that because now you're you're challenging success in another way um in terms of actually winning games um, I think it's just reminding players to to be humble a little bit and and just be like, okay, well done. To, okay, no, okay, he's on to the next one, and here's what you got to think about, um, and and just try not to create people that are too obsessed with winning and too obsessed with with um, going after three points and understanding that there is actually development still to it, and that you need to you need to. Be accepting the fact that you can't win it all the time. So how do you manage defeat? That's the next question. How do you manage defeat? Because if you win four or five games and then you're buzzing and you've got a buzzing changing room and everyone's happy, then you win, you lose two on the bounce. How do you manage that expectation? And how do you manage that that flip between between winning and losing? No, that's big, especially for a you know a, a younger kid around ten years old, where winning is everything to them. The moment they start losing, their heads drop. They come become demotivated. Some of them probably don't want to play. And like you said before, uh, a lot of times their parents pressure them to play the sport. Um, my next question for you, coaching wise, um, how do you, in terms of you and other coaches, let's say you were a striker, right? Uh, or you just predominantly played yep. striker. How would you, uh, your coaching views versus another coaching view? Mm -hmm. Is there like a certain structure that you guys deal with? Yeah. And, and how and, you implement your ideas. And just to add on to that, because I was going to ask a, a the same question. <laughs> what's that conversation like when you have to uh, say to a player, 
hey, I know you like playing this position, but for your trick, you're better um, fit for this position. I've been playing striker all my life, but then you see a trait where if he dropped back 10 yards, play like in an attacking midfield position, he has the quality to spray the ball, receive the ball, and shoot at goal as well. So what's that conversation like when you have to take a player to their favourite position? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll, ask, I'll answer the first question um, first. Um, in terms of the way it works over here um, in the academy system, um, and I believe it should filter through to grassroots. Um, if an under seven comes in, seven year old player comes in, and I turn around to him and go, Okay, guys, yeah, today there's a group of seven of them. Okay, guys, today we're going to do some passing and receiving, some ball work, passing and receiving, possession game, and then we're going to do finishing. And the boy comes in, he comes in buzzing, does really well, and he goes to goal and he does finishing. And we do, we do shooting for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, however long. And he does really well and has 10 shots and scored nine of them. I go, yeah, you're a striker, but he's seven. How do I know he's a striker at seven? So for me, um, and something we tried developing at South End was, and I think a lot of clubs do it, um, was a system where they will move from positions, you know, so we split the pitch um, laterally, um, going across and versus going up. We, we would look at, we'd look at it in terms of like, Okay, so if they play striker, they might have a month or so there. Okay, now we'll look at playing them in the central midfield area, and now we might look at them playing at centre-back. So they've had a whole two or three, four-month period of playing uh, down the middle of the pitch um, and, and experiencing the pressures probably coming from the sides, probably coming from the front and the back. So they've had that really good experience. Then we might say, okay, um, somebody else, you might play in the wide area. Um, so now... We'll play you right, right mid, right midfield, right wide right, and then we might drop you into right centre back if you're playing a seven aside formation, two three one. Um, so we're keeping you on them right side, so you're used to playing with the pressure on certain coming from the left, coming from in front. Um, so we work it that way. So where you're constantly, um, where you know changing the player's position as they get older, you then start to refine a position and start to understand and have conversations with the player, which links me into my into the next question. Um, you know the conversations that happen are are always uh, awkward ones when players are doing really well in a position, and you think maybe it might benefit them practicing elsewhere. Um, I, I think that comes from building a relationship with the player, uh, building a relationship with the parent, um, because you know at the end of the day they have to trust you. Um, with, with your advice. If they, if they're young career at the end of the day, if they're going to go and play and they're going to be worth money at the end of the day, uh, when as they get older, they have to, they have to understand it, um, that, that there's going to be change. So the conversations would happen between the player and we maybe the coach, um, and just say, look, myself and whoever, we've had a chat and we've had a thing. What, what do you think of the idea about maybe you're playing as a striker, but have you ever thought about playing behind the striker? And playing in the in in, in number ten in, in the second in this uh, attacking midfield position, uh, oh maybe I yeah I haven't thought I said you know who's you you know think of a player who plays there oh Kevin De Bruyne oh, okay yeah well okay you know think about the way he plays you know do you ever vision yourself doing that oh maybe maybe so you start the initial conversations off and then you might just say to him say look we're going to do um, a game today in training um, why don't you give it a go. And then you gauge, see how they feel, and then you know, and you can start 
having them conversation and then most importantly relay that information back to the parent so the parent hasn't got an opportunity to come to me and go why are you not playing him in the striker position he's been playing him for five years which you probably shouldn't have been doing because he should have been moved around um mm-hmm. and then you're building that relationship and just say look yeah we've decided that we think it might be good for him to go here trust us on this one we're gonna have a we're gonna have a go if we don't think it works then we'll look at playing him back in 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 the area he enjoys and and go from there but then the most important part about it is, is you don't just go okay you're gonna be a striker and now you're going to go and play as a as a, a attacking midfield player. You know you can't just leave him. If you both agreed that between all three, you the player and the parent, the most important thing then is to go right. Okay, now how am I going to help him? So if you're training twice a week and you have got a game on a, on a on a Sunday or a Saturday or whenever, you know, then go and help the kid. Go and coach him. A lot of coaches don't. A lot of coaches will just say, yeah, let's change him or put him there and then leave it. And then they go, they're the first they're the first people to then turn around and go, he's not good enough. But, well, no, you haven't given him any clarity. You haven't helped him. You haven't. So it's really important that you didn't give him the clarity. You didn't give him help. You help him in training. I'm not saying solely go and spend every minute of the training session with him. But, you know, try and um, prioritise your training around him. So we're over in here. When I did my UA for B licence, my, uh, my tutor um, on the B licence told me, he said, um, he said, Theme training sessions like it's a film. So who's your main character? They're going to be the the main people of the session. So for example, let's just say we were doing um, let's just say we were doing um a session on um uh, playing forwards, right? Breaking lines for argument's sake. Um, let's just say we're using the the centre mid for example. As you know, let's keep it relatable. Let's keep it relatable. Let's keep it to the to the striker. Um, so let's just say we go into the striker and and we're going to work on final third. Um. And let's just say um, the main character is a striker and his name's John. So John's the main character. Okay, so we're, we're looking at how do we break opposition down to then get in behind in tight areas in the final third. So then we might go, right, then the support cast, who are the support cast? So who are the people in the film that are around um, around John? So it might be, you know, they're supporting him through his journey in the film. So it might be the wire player. It might be the other wire player. It might be the player behind the striker. Okay, then we're going to work with them. Who are the who are the outcasts? So who are the people that are are just the people in the background? So that might be now the defenders. That might now be maybe the people behind the ball, which are the two central midfield players. So you structure your session like that. So then now, how do we then collate that so that he, the player that we're trying to help, is going to get the most amount of help? Well, we set it up for him. You know, he's going to be in this position, and now we're going to try and give him the support by working with the people around him to help the main character, and then go from there. So that is how you would try and help a player trying to change position um, and, and try and, and then integrate into games. So you might play an, a 90-minute game. and I, Well, in England, in the academy systems, we play 80 minutes from under 9s to 14s. About 80 minutes and it's split into four 20-minute periods. So you might have a, a game and you might just say, like, okay, right, um, Johnny, you're going to play as the striker for the first two periods and then the second two periods you might play as your number 10 and just go and enjoy yourself. No restrictions on him. Let's just see what you can do. And then you build that rapport up with him and start seeing what he's doing and then you can start adjusting your, you know, your instructions to him over time. Great, 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 great um, interview. Uh, we're kind of running short on time, so let's get into the fun questions. Um <laughs> I'll kick it off. Who's your favourite player? Lionel Messi. Because the way he uh, plays is very much like how 
I envision, uh, well, I, w- I would like to say I would like to play, but it's com- two complete opposites, actually, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, he just does everything so gracefully, so natural. Um, you know, even when you watch him from 10 years ago, you know, when he was in his prime at Barcelona, when I say prime, he still is, but, um, <laughs> you know, he just, you know, everything is just, he's so direct, he's so basic, but, he, you know, he just, the wow moments, you know, when you look for a player for a wow moment, you know, that that's what you get of him. I'm not saying, you know, if anyone else you don't, but he just offers that and, it, it, yeah, watching him is, 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 is brilliant. Okay. Um, uh, what leagues do you watch and your favourite clubs from them? So, I watch Premier League mid- mainly, um, being in England. Um, I am a West Ham United fan. Um, we're like the uh, we're like the hooligans, should we say, of the Premier League. We're just known for being uh, we're just known for being uh, having some boisterous fans. But no, we yeah, I I'm mainly taking interest to watching them. Um, I'm in, but not only that, at the moment, I'm it's a it's a really really interesting one. I, I I like I don't being a coach. I like to watch a lot of teams. I don't like to just watch West Ham. And so. At the moment, I'm watching. Um, I, I like watching Palace play. I really enjoy watching Palace play. They're not doing very well at the moment, but I really enjoy watching Palace play. Um, they're really good under Patrick Vieira. Um, okay. City are a joy to watch at the moment. Uh, Man City, they're an absolute joy to watch. Um, and then again, in 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 foreign countries, I don't get an opportunity to watch them too much. But if if it was to be anyone, I think Real Madrid are bang on it as well at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and just yeah, just entertaining attacking attacking teams. Great, great, great. Um, the next question being, who is your favorite coach uh, slash manager? Um, favorite coach. I'll go on both. Can I go both? Like as a coach and as a manager. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. favorite manager at the moment uh, again is is uh, a thousand percent Pep. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an there's a documentary on Amazon Prime that he he's done um, that it, well I say he's done the club man that he did you just watch the way he works it's just fantastic the detail the energy he gives everyone speaks so highly of him and I remember watching the Liverpool game they played about a month ago now and I just found it so fascinating Look, Man City were losing one nil and what I just find so fascinating is they're losing one nil they need to I think it was one nil that game but anyway they they they, they were losing um, and they were going out. They needed to go and win. It's the 90th minute. They got about three minutes to go added on, and they're still trying to play the way they believe, which is you know opening up spaces. You know they're not they're not rushing on what they're trying to do. They're trying to get it be tricky getting the in the pockets. I just thought you know what you know it just shows how he doesn't. No matter how the game's going, he will not give up on his way of thinking. I love it. I love it. You know his team's always attractive to watch, and then I've. Um, Favorite coach, um, I would say probably is. is um, I've got loads that I've worked with and people that I've, I've seen work. Um, you know, uh, again, I think I've got to go with Steve. Um, not to to blow smoke up his backside. I will send this to him afterwards, and he'll have a big smile on his face. But um, <laughs> but he, he he you know not you know he's. I've got to give him a lot of credit. He's put a lot of faith in me and he's given me a lot of opportunities, a lot of opportunities that I know he wouldn't have given to a lot of other people. And, you know, watching him work, 
he, yes, he does things in an old school manner because of the the way he the era he was brought up playing in and managed in, and it's changed a lot now, and he knows that. But it, I think just the way you know what I've learned off of him, uh, and as much as he tells me I'm overcomplicating the game a hell of a lot, but. The basic things he does do, he does so well, and the detail he goes into is fantastic. So yeah, I can't, yeah, I can't knock that one. Okay, okay, okay. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, what are your thoughts um, on the UEFA Champions League this season? Who do you think is going to take it? <sighs> Based on the group stage, of course. Well, the, the 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 next round of draws are pretty good, aren't they? Um, you know, some brilliant draws. Some great. Brilliant. Some, oh, we got some good ones. I, I'll be honest with you. If the draws weren't as good as they were, I would probably, if it was a bit more obvious, if that makes sense. You know, like some of the weaker sides who, who are in the next rounds playing against the strong ones. I think I would go back to Madrid. I don't think I don't think Man City will do it. I, I don't know why. I, I really really don't know why. I just think. They seem to choke, right? They, they, yeah. If they got a, a decent draw this time, and I have a feeling they'll they'll tend to choke towards uh, the latter PSG. Yeah, I, 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 again, I think PSG are another one that I think that will, that will, that do the same as well. I, I think they've got the best players, and they've they've, they've got all, seem to have all the money, but they don't really always deliver on the big stage in the Champions League. I don't know when they last won a tournament um, in the Champions League, um, but I, I think my money goes on on Madrid. I think again this year, I think they're just that good, and they're doing so well and. Um, they just seem to they they seem to always deliver on this stage, um, and to their credit, they do it really well. Okay, okay. Um, obviously, we have to um, jump into this topic because it's a week away. Um, <laughs> the World Cup, the World Cup. Um, what? But let me just ask you because I just don't want to ask you who is going. Who do you see winning the World yeah. Cup? What does the World Cup mean to you? Um, first, because Ryan and the rest of our team are going to do like a pre-World Cup show nice. um, coming up this Sunday. So while we have you here as our guest, what does the World Cup mean to you? Um, and who do you see going on? Is it your dark horse or winning it? Um, uh, World Cup to me. Um, World Cup to me always reminds me of being a kid, um, being young, having the England tattoos, uh, the ones that you could, uh, you could put on with the water. Um, mm-hmm. with, on, on my cheeks, um, you know, on my arms, the lion, England lion on 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 the on the uh, on the shoulders. You know, um, English weather isn't very warm. I'll be honest with you. So it also must be the summer as well. Warm weather. So it's a shame it's in the winter this year. Um, but I mean, the the one that the World Cup really reminds me of is is 2018 in Russia. Um, it was a, it was a time where I was old enough to to go up uh, up to the pub and watch it with with every other person that wanted to go and do that. And England did really well. We went on to the semi finals and um, and unfortunately we lost. But you know, going on to that, you know, with with with, um, with the, the the joy it brought to the country. We haven't won a World Cup in, since nineteen sixty six. You know, it's just boring over here at the moment. Um, so it, it, you know, we we want we we. We're firstly for success um, in in a tournament, but it just reminds me of summer. Reminds me of of in, you know every time watching a game. This is this is genuine truth. Watching a game as a kid and then just going out in my back garden and trying to play football, um, and and just you know Wayne Rooney, Gerrard, Lampard, all these. 
big, big players who play for England, David Beckham, you know, big players that play for England and how we haven't been able to deliver, but we just always seem to have good players who play for us. Um, I mean, the biggest the biggest thing I'm looking forward to in this tournament is playing uh, the USA on the 25th. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to that one as well. Um, who, who I think is going to go on to win it, um, I think all the writing is on the wall at the moment for Brazil. I think... There we go. There we go. Um, there we go. I think, I think, I think uh, honestly, I think Brazil's squad, I was looking at it the other day, uh, um, I just couldn't believe the players, the headache they've got is ridiculous. Such a, I mean, who do they pick to play in goal? Edison or Allison? It's just like, it's crazy. You know, their front, their front three is a headache in itself if you're playing... That's a great problem it, to have. It, it That's Chichi's problem. It, it is, you know, and it's just crazy. I think Danny Alves is 39 years of age and he's the oldest player to play in the World Cup for Brazil. Like, that, it's just crazy how well he's still doing. Um, I personally don't think he's going to play. I think he's going to be more of a supportive character. In that but even room. still, but, you know, if Brazil, yeah. if Brazil go on and win their first, which they should do, the first two games, they'll be through. So p- people like him will, will get an opportunity to play in that last game to get a cap in the World Cup, you know. But they, the writing's on the wall. With Brazil, Brazil have got an unbelievable chance of winning it. Um, and alongside as well, I think I think the French national team is looking really good. Um, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I want to say England. I, I just don't. I just don't think it's going to be us this year. It's okay. Uh, no. <laughs> you can say tell just say it. it's coming home, right? It's, it's all right to say. It's, it's, it's not um it's I don't think it's coming home this tournament. Um I just <laughs> no, I I I'll I'll tell you why and I'll wrap it up real quick. I just think we have got a massive issue at the moment with fullback. I mean it comes out in ten minutes over here, the England squad. We've got a massive issue with, with, with fullbacks, um, with injuries. You know, we're struggling in terms on that front. And I just think if you look at four or five other teams that are also in contention to win it. Because I would say we are we are in contention to be up there, but they just have better they just have better powerhouses than we do and they they have better cars yeah. to play than we do. Um and I I just think we, we lack creativity. I mean with with players and we don't we don't do enough. Um so it it'd be interesting but yeah, Brazil for for sure. Yeah. I have two questions for you. Um one being, who do you see carrying the 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 the, the armband or the flag for England, um, over the next five years? And what do you think about um Southgate's like coaching method, which is from our end, well, from my end as a fan end, and as because I analyze the sport at a deeper level than most fans, he's very pragmatic, and I think he could like loosen the reins a bit, um, uh, for some of our uh, England's attacking players. Um, so. For me, the English team, I would say that we 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 could be looking at a couple. So Phil Foden, Jude Bellingham, um, I think they're your two really. Um, you could go. I'll get some stick for saying, mate. No, um, I, 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 listen. I, I think Mason Mount is good. I think Mason Mount is good. I think he's very good. But I, if you look at Foden and you look at um, and you look at Bellingham, I think they're that little bit better. Um, I, I think. <laughs> I'll get some stick for saying this as a West Ham fan, but I think Declan Rice, uh, I think Declan Rice is excellent. But again, he's another one, you know. So the midfield is looking great. Um, in terms of um, what was the, what was the second question you asked? Um, Gareth Southgate's uh, coaching ah. method, because I've had rants about it on here all the time. But I just think they could be doing more 
um, attacking wise, but I want to hear from like a coaching perspective. Not criticizing him. I'm just saying for the players that England have, they should be played more expansive football. Is that, is that all? Um, I tend to agree. Um, I think Southgate is very predictable in his lineup now. It will shock me if he changes his lineup for the World Cup. I'm not talking about his squad that he's going to pick. I'm talking about actually who the 11th start. I probably could tell you who he's going to pick. He's going to pick Maguire. He's going to pick Sterling. Um, do I think they deserve to be picked? No, I think I think there are I, I think there are I think there are better players um, in them roles at the moment. I think I was talking I was talking to somebody earlier, um, Eric Dyer. I think could easily slot in for 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 Harry Maguire, and I think um, I, I think. You could be looking at either Rashford or Grealish starting over Sterling on that left hand side. So, you know, yeah. you know, it, it, I, I, I do think in terms of the way we play, I think we do some nice stuff. I think it takes us a long time to do something in the game, but we we do do okay. I just think it's very predictable who he's going to play um, and where. Um, so that hopefully that answers the question. That's it. That's it. Mm. That's all the time we have. Um, thank you for joining us on the final podcast today. Um, can you just let our listeners know where they can find you and follow yeah, you? Yeah, so if you go on Instagram, that's the main one we're on. If you go on that, you type in Essex Player Development um, and you'll find everything that we do on there. All of our all of our coaching, all of our, um, you know, watching, we can watch some of our players show off their stuff. And, and and if anyone's got any questions, they can always get in contact with me uh, directly. I'm open to any conversation um, at all. Mm-hmm. Okay, good, 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 good. And obviously, you know, you can follow us at the Final Whistle Podcast. Uh, that's the one with the blue logo and the ball. Um, you can follow us at the Final Whistle Podcast uh, and at the Final Whistle on Twitter with the E at the end and replace that with a 10. Um, thank you guys for listening. From your host, George, Javon. Pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> thank you for the opportunity. I'm your host, Javon, and today I was here with my co host, Ryan. And thank you. Thank you guys for joining us. Catch you guys on the flip side.